I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. quake, quake. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future, and this week you're in for a real treat here this election week. Uh, this uh, show today, we're going to have Joseph Farah, who is the CEO of WorldNet Daily, who's going to talk about his new book, None of the Above, The Ultimate Protest Vote, that's coming right up. And uh, tomorrow we're going to have joining us uh, uh, Mr. Daryl Castle, who is the VP candidate for the Constitution Party, in a very brief interview followed by a remaining interview we had, which we aired the first part uh, a couple weeks ago, with Robert Hyde, uh, all talking about our duties as Christians uh, regarding the whole political process itself. So I think you're going to find it very interesting. Those of you listening on the Internet, uh, you'll find these in rapid succession, but we'll take these one day at a time here. So with no further ado, I want to introduce Joseph Farah, and then we'll be right back on Future Quake. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future, and it is a pleasure to have uh, our guest with us, uh, Mr. Joseph Farah, who is the founder, editor, and CEO of WorldNet Daily, and also is the author of the new book, None of the Above. And we're going to talk today about the topic, Why Christians Should Vote, None of the Above. Uh, this is a cataclysmic book, but uh, Brother Farah, it's an honor to finally uh, get to have you on the Future Quake Show. Uh, privilege to be with you. Well, as the as the founder and CEO of uh, the most popular source of news and comment provided with a faith-based perspective on the web, uh, WorldNet Daily, uh, you uh, a project I know that you've patiently built and grown over a number of years uh, and taken it to its uh, current state of prominent influence that has a real impact on the culture and thinking of uh, moral Americans. And I just I, I know that it's the place to go to find contributions from some of the most influential and well-known thinkers out there, uh, people like Roger Hed- Hedgecock, Pat Buchanan, and Ann Coulter, uh, Hal Lindsey, Judge Roy Moore, and there's just on and on and on at your site, a one-stop shop for some of the top thinkers in society. And, and with your reputation as a genuine maverick and a free thinker in your, your own way within the evangelical community, uh, while you still maintain your solid credentials and reputation within the Christian family, uh, you have written and, and released this earth-shaking book that's created some of the most debate and resistance within the community of faith that I've ever seen. Uh, with, <laughs> yes, I would agree with, with you. With just a simple title of None of the Above. Can you very briefly, uh, in, in a few minutes, because I've got a, uh, a few important follow-up questions to ask you, uh, 
share with us the basic premise and the key points of this historic and transformational book? Sure thing. Um, let me begin by saying uh, the genesis for this project and and my way of thinking about this subject started really in 2000 for me. Uh, it was early in the presidential campaign. George W. Bush was seeking the Republican nomination at that time, and I had an opportunity to meet with him in a small group setting, and a, a question was asked, and I, I honestly thought it was a softball question, uh, but it turned out to be a very, very key question, and I don't even remember specifically who asked it, but the question was this. If a piece of legislation winds up on your desk and you're the President of the United States and the, the legislation is clearly unconstitutional, what will you do about it? And his answer was, how will I know it's unconstitutional? And I was shocked, and I know there were a few other people in the room who mm -hmm. were equally disturbed by his response. And it occurred to me at that moment that George W. Bush was like so many politicians in Washington, although he wasn't in Washington yet, uh, of the mind that only the Supreme Court of the United States is qualified to determine whether legislation is unconstitutional or not. And as a student of, of, of history and politics, um, I knew that that was not what our founders had in mind when they drafted the Constitution ratified it. They, they created a document that was easily understandable for lay people, average people, ordinary people, ranchers and farmers without uh, advanced degrees, uh, without law degrees. Uh, and that was the, really one of the, the beauties of our, of our Constitution. And it also occurred to me that anyone who would elected president who would take an oath of office, put his hand on the Bible, and swear to uphold the Constitution of the United States, but didn't really feel qualified to do so, was simply not worthy of the office. And, and so I decided then and there that I could not vote for George W. Bush. And it, it was equally disturbing to many of our readers that I took that position then. But I, I felt it was important to, to draw a line in the sand, to develop uh, a litmus test, if you will, for politicians, uh, a simple common denominator that, frankly, every American should be able to embrace uh, before pulling the lever for uh, any politician. And th that carried over uh, to the current election, where our choices among the two major major party candidates are John McCain and Barack Obama. And, you know, I I was very uneasy with John McCain for a number of reasons. Obviously, Barack Obama is not somebody who he, he has the view that mm -hmm. we we have a living constitution that it means different things at different times to different people, and it's just a matter of you know reinterpreting the constitution. So he was obviously not even on my radar screen as sure. somebody who, who we could who we could think about entertain as a candidate. But John McCain, uh, on the other hand, I I, I applied this standard to him and I and I found him frankly equally wanting even though he his rhetoric is different and uh, particularly recently since he's gotten the nomination and in various forums like the Rick Warren forum and his speech at the Republican convention he he seems to be saying the right things uh, I also determined in the process of putting this book together that we should really our standard for 
judging politicians should be based on their track record, not on what they say in an election year. That's a very important principle uh, because politicians will say whatever they feel is necessary to say to be elected. And so I looked at John McCain's track record with regard to the Constitution, and I found it seriously lacking. And, you know, we can talk briefly about some of the the key issues. I think one of the most important ones uh, that people can relate to would be border security and enforcement of immigration laws. Uh, There's virtually no difference between John McCain and Barack Obama on this issue. McCain was one of the principal advocates of a broad-based amnesty program and has not felt that enforcement of our existing immigration laws was a priority at all. Right. And so, therefore, there, there's an example of this is a constitutional issue because when the founders thought about national security, they really were thinking about domestic, internal national security issues. They weren't really thinking much at that time about projecting offensive war-making powers uh, overseas. So they they were against empires, correct? I mean, they were well, most definitely right, right. And uh, uh, and so here was a here was a, a legitimate power of the federal government essentially being undermined by by John McCain. And we can point to a number of other examples, right. well, like brother, the brother, fine gold r- issue and so forth. Right. But, brother, brother Joseph, yes. if I can ask you just real quick, I apologize for interrupting you. Uh, there, I want I want our listeners to be able to get your book and read some of the additional lists because we've covered some of them on our show uh, in the past. But I'm very interested to find out the fallout. I think there's even more to tell on how people have responded to your book. Um, you're, you're very logical, well-documented, and honest premise in your book. Uh, has been assailed by prominent evangelical political activists, such as uh, radio show host Janet Parshall, who uh, actually I watched the John Ankerberg uh, show where she was on, and uh, she said in so many words that not voting for one of the two major parties was unbiblical, uh, while I felt like they distorted the assertions of your book and mistakenly implying that you endorsed the idea that Christians shirked their duty of participating in the election process entirely. Yes. I, in, in fact, many of the people uh, seem to promote uh, – many of these people I'm talking about in this camp seem to report, uh, promote Republican candidates no matter uh, who they are and where they stand in the field, including John McCain, who uh, a few other things I've noticed uh, has, uh, has been an adulterer, a serious adulterer by his own admission, who has stirred f- firmly against pro-life judge appointments alongside uh, Democratic uh, followers in his gang of 14 – and uh, has even gone so far as to call evangelicals agents of intolerance. Yes. Uh, I can't help but notice the coincidence, and I, I don't know what you think about this, but I really value your opinion, that many of these people that have been so aggressive in pushing John McCain on their fellow evangelicals have association with groups like the Council on National Policy, uh, who some people have called the Christian version of the Council on Foreign Relations, and has most all of the influential leaders in the evangelical community, uh, and uh, have several facets that a lot of my listeners find uh, disturbing. Uh, their, their total secrecy against releasing the contents of their meetings, or, or even who attends, uh, while even preventing Christian media from even reporting on their activities, uh, and keeping all this on the cover of, of darkness. And I've, I've had uh, several former high-level evangelical members and leaders confess to me 
that the CNP became merely just a tool for pushing a Republican agenda. Uh, while I see that it's secrecy and making uh, the way it conducts its business and making it ripe for infiltration and manipulation of the gullible evangelical community by outside influences, could this group and its prominent evangelical leaders be a major force behind the resistance to your simple premise for evangelicals to support who supports their values rather than undying loyalty to a secular political party? Well, I think it's it's more complicated than that. I would say that, and just quickly addressing the Janet Parshall uh, issue, let me let me say one other thing, and that is that uh, with regard to John McCain, I think one thing you left out was that um, he, he's a strong advocate of removing the pro-life plank from the Republican Party. Right. That speaks volumes about um, his view of that issue, I think. And that would have helped him in his run last time to uh, join John Kerry, wouldn't he, within an eyelash of joining John Kerry? <laughs> That's right. He, he he actively considered, according to his own words, the idea of running with John Kerry. And that's who we evangelicals are supposed to get excited to get behind. That's right. Now, with regard to why um, evangelical leaders uh, embrace the Republican Party like it's a matter of, you know, doctrine, Christian right. doctrine, right. I think it has more to do with um, uh, the desire for access and influence uh, in, you know, a, an administration. I think that that is why you see uh, evangelicals embracing John McCain today, who would never have thought about embracing him uh, if there was practically anybody else uh, from the Republican Party mm-hmm. running against him. They've thrown their lot in with the Republican Party. Now, I understand that. I, I too, believe that the Republican Party is probably the best hope we have for the well, between the two major parties for, you know, correcting the course that our nation is on. But that is not to say that just because somebody has an R after their name that that makes them a better alternative. Uh, That's where I part company, and that's where I believe you have to have some minimal standard to apply to uh, any candidate before you pull the lever. And I might also add that, you know, Janet Parshall did say unbiblical. She also said sinful uh, with respect to withholding your vote. And I think it's very clear that she was talking about withholding your vote from the McCain ticket when she made that statement. Mm -hmm. So sinful and unbiblical were the accusations. Now, I, you know, I, I consider myself a pretty good student of the Bible. I read it every day. Uh, and I don't see anything in there about voting at all, mm-hmm. quite honestly. Uh, that's not to say we don't have a civic obligation to be involved uh, in politics and in the culture, to try to be the salt and the light. Exactly. And that's how we're, what we're commanded to do. I've been a very strong advocate of that for 30-some years. And that's part of why you have WorldNet Daily, so we can be informed citizens. That's <laughs> exactly right. But, but it, that I get flooded with emails from, from my very intelligent listeners who listen to the show that are very disturbed when they hear things like her saying uh, that it's unbiblical because Jesus tells us to occupy until he comes. Right. Now, my, my listeners are educated enough to know that that is dominionist talk, yes. that they're going to conquer the world and, and use the state – 
as a means to accomplish kingdom of God business. And, and my listeners, as well as I, are finding that very disturbing. And, and I tell you, I'm very disturbed that groups like the Council on National Policy, which I know very little about in, in attempting in my research to understand, meet in secret and will not tell other people what they're doing. But obviously they have media arms that push this kind of thing on, on sincere Bible-believing Christians, like, like I hope myself and my listeners are. And we're just wondering what's going on. I just wondered if you understood what's going on behind closed doors. Why, why do these groups meet in secret? Why are they so coy about what they do? And why are they so aggressive in pushing this on us? I I don't think that that's a factor. I, I have no reason to even believe that, that uh, Janet Parshall is a member of uh, the Council on National Policy or Council for National yeah. Policy. Um, so, I, you know, I, 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 I hesitate to. Wasn't her media group, the, uh, the uh, Salem Communications Group, key in the formation of that or very influential? Uh, yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. The she, her Salem, employer. Salem Communications was also very a very strong proponent officially or unofficially of the Mitt Romney campaign which i found kind of shocking given that uh, it is the largest christian broadcasting company in the world and their choice first choice right. uh, for a republican nominee was somebody who was not a, not a christian um but uh, you know i i um uh, again i you know i I think that it, I would feel more comfortable talking about my thesis rather than trying well, to talk about what the motives are I, for I people who are attacking me. I understand. I don't want to put words in your mouth, uh, Brother Farah. I just, we, we're trying to figure out, my listeners are trying to understand what in the world is going on, and, and your book became a lightning rod. I mean, it's almost like they treat you like you've broken ranks, and yeah. uh, it's well, unforgivable look, that you've done this. I think there's a natural thing that happens I, I i feel it myself you people want to be part of something they they want to they want to have somebody to root for the in a, you know an election campaign i really wish that i could vote for somebody and feel good about voting for one of the major party candidates mm -hmm. it's it's hard not to do that and as the election approaches as november 4th gets closer it will be even more difficult to resist that urge that we feel i don't know what is quite at the root of that but i know it's there i know I, i've had mm -hmm. to fight sure. that, that that tendency and i think that's the biggest factor we have christians have been so for so long disengaged from politics and the culture i mean we've abdicated all the major cultural institutions we've abandoned them we've turned them over to the world We've turned politics over to the world. We're intimidated about uh, taking any part in it. And so, you know, now that Christians have uh, uh, in recent years uh, begun to be reengaged to an extent, it's, it's sort of counterintuitive when we say, well, wait a minute, let's take a step back here. Let's not jump off this cliff. Let's not drink this Kool-Aid. Well, we understand the isolationist point is not mm -hmm. correct. The, the far other extreme is to try to use the state as a, an agent to accomplish kingdom business. Yeah. And, and to me, the dominionists, what they're doing is by wanting the kingdom now and wanting to take it by force, they're choosing Barabbas over Jesus as their leader to, to, con you know, to do something worthwhile over the pagan world. 
Uh, but in, in follow-up to what you were just saying about uh, this tendency of wanting to go with the two major parties, you mentioned in your book that there are there are other third parties that are worthy of consideration. It was a very, very brief mention. You didn't take a strong stand on any one of them. You mentioned maybe briefly some of the challenges each had. But, but I was very interested to find in your own poll you did at World Net Daily on who people were going to vote for. After John McCain, the next one that came up, and the only other one in double digits, was Dr. Chuck Baldwin of the Constitution Party, uh, yes. who is the, thir- it's the third largest party in our country. He's a Baptist pastor, uh, and from what I understand, his beliefs generally fall in line with what I understand you espouse at World Net Daily. Uh, however, he seems to get no attention whatsoever or their group in Christian media. And it almost appears like they've been shut out from a lot of these uh, activities. I, I, I was attracted to it just merely from reading their platform and finding more about Dr. Baldwin and what his con, you know, uh, consistent position has been. But World Net Daily is such a juggernaut. I, I feel like you could single-handedly raise the awareness of groups like this to serious consideration by evangelicals and, and start a turning point in getting us a tour representative. Um, is there any reason why there's been so little emphasis between World Net Daily or other Christian media on groups like Dr. Baldwin or, or doing it sort of at the last minute, right before the election, before it could have more of an impact? Yes. In fact, I had lunch with uh, Chuck Baldwin yesterday oh. and discussed this very really? thing with him. Okay. And it's a little hard to explain, but here's, here's what I said to him uh, in what was intended as a private conversation, but I'll, I'll share it with Go you. On. And by the way, he was he was not pushing too hard mm-hmm. for for me to endorse him or for we we've done our best to um, uh, give uh, attention to all of the third party candidates uh, and all the major party candidates and their views and we'll continue to do that. Uh, but but here was here was what I, my major point with him. I said, you know, Chuck, uh, uh, I wrote none of the above. Because when you want to convince somebody to do something, you don't know. The best track is often not to uh, start out by saying, "Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to vote for Chuck Baldwin, or I'm going to vote for Alan Keyes." Sure. Because now you've just narrowed the group of people that you are talking to. Well, it also looks like it looks like you have an agenda too, a secondary agenda. That's right. Yeah. When the the major issue, see, Chuck Baldwin is not going to win the election, uh, and neither is Alan Keyes, and neither is Bob Barr, neither any of the third party candidates. They're not. They're very unlikely to get more than one or two percent of the vote. And neither are we going to convert the whole world. But the Lord still tells us to carry forward in what we know. That's right. right. That's right. And I have no problem, by the way, telling people my agenda with regard to, you know. Uh, uh, wanting to bring them to Christ, but mm-hmm. you know Chuck Baldwin is the—he he is not our Lord and Savior. He's sure. somebody who's seeking the presidency on the Constitution Party ticket, and so you know he—he he accepted what I had to say about that. My, we have a, a big educational process in front of us with regard to explaining to people what should be that minimal standard that we apply as citizens, as voters, and that minimal standard, again, I go back to it, it's the Constitution in this country. That's, that's you know, that's the thing that is so, that's unique about America, that we have a constitutional system that limits the power of the federal government, very dramatically, by the way. 
and we're a lot we've drifted far 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 away from that now that's a big deal that's a very very important concept that Americans have to embrace again before they will ever consider which one of the candidates the minor party candidates best personifies or typifies right. that value so you know will that be uh, will that be part of your mission of world net daily for the next 4 years <laughs> it's been a mission for the last 11, well, I so understand. I assume it will be a mission going forward, absolutely. I, I understand. I know our time is getting down to the end, uh, and we don't really have time for you to respond to this, but sometime when, when you're doing WorldNet Daily, uh, you have talked about the potential of returning to the Republicans uh, after they've, quote, learned their lesson, you know, and um, uh, maybe realize they can't count on our vote. I'm afraid we're going to turn into one of these uh, uh, abusive spouse situations mm-hmm. where they know they're going to come back to us, and once we've been sitting on the shelf for a while, they know we're going to come back crawling back Oh, it's to going them. to be cyclical, believe me. I am well aware of that because we can go back to 1980. Uh, yeah. At least during my lifetime, that was a time when the Republican Party had – you know, to the probably to the best of its ability, rediscovered its moorings, its foundations through the person of Ronald Reagan, and that's probably as good as it gets until Jesus comes back. Well, I, under, I, Truly. I understand. I appreciate and, that. You know, because we live in a fallen world, and even Ronald Reagan was a you know fallen man, mm-hmm. uh, very imperfect. Uh, but it's probably as good as it gets in our lifetime. And so, therefore, you know, that's if you want to talk pr- practical politics, that's as much as we're ever going to be able to expect right. until Jesus comes back. Well, Brother Ferret, we're at the end of our time, and I want to respect the time that you uh, dedicated to us. Thank you so much for gracing our time and for my listeners, and I welcome you back at any time to discuss these issues further. Uh, hey, I appreciate the opportunity so thank, much, and God bless you. Thank you for your honor and for your, your bravery in your book. I think very much good is going to come out of it, and I just appreciate you taking a brave stand. We meet, we need more evangelical leaders like you to do that, and I hope you set the example for them. And in closing, could you tell them real quickly again how they can get a hold of your book, None of the yes, Above? Yes, it, it's a, None of the Above is available pretty much everywhere uh, books are sold, Amazon, retail outlets, but you can also get it at WND.com, our website, and get all autographed copies there as well as uh, bumper stickers that say down of the above and the and political pins buttons that mm-hmm. all of that for the same price. And I read it and I recommend all of my listeners get it. It's essential reading. Thank you so much, uh, Brother Farah, and God bless you and your continued work for the for the kingdom for the Lord. Thank you, Doctor Nothing can change the This is Dr. Future at the uh, third party debate at Vanderbilt University, and I'm speaking with Constitution Party Vice Presidential Candidate Daryl Castle, who was a recent uh, guest on the Future Quake Show. I want to thank you so much for your recent visit on the Future Quake Show. Well, thank you, Dr. Future. It was a pleasure. I'm glad to be talking with you tonight. We uh, we had feedback from people all over the country uh, from your visit from our uh, last time on the show. I want to thank you so much. This is going to be broadcast on Election Day uh, in the afternoon. There's going to be some people heading to the polls. 
they still have a lot of questions that their own candidates have not answered. Uh, but before that, can you very quickly just give us a rundown of, say, the, the top five most important platform uh, positions that the Constitution Party has that distinguishes themselves from the other two major parties? Well, first, I'd remind you that both uh, Senator McCain and Senator Obama voted in favor of this recent bailout and spoke highly of it, and we're very much opposed to it. We have a different solution for the economy than that, and involves an end to the Federal Reserve System. Uh, of course, we're for secure borders. We're uh, opposed to the North American Union and think that it should be stopped. Uh, we're for a non-interventionist foreign policy, which would involve uh, militarily leaving the uh, Middle East and uh, rebuilding our economy. We're for energy independence, and we believe we have a program for achieving that. So uh, we hope you'll consider the Constitution Party. Uh, it's really necessary to uh, save this country. But it's very interesting that you uh, mentioned the point of the bailout because uh, uh, we took a very active role uh, in the bailout in sending information, uh, letters to our senators, congressmen, others as well, as well as our listeners. We took a very strong stand against it because of the unconstitutional nature and of the other damage it will do to our republic and the fact that it actually breaks the fundamental structure that we have as a free democratic society. Uh, Given your position regarding the bailout in particular, I know uh, not only the, the people who contacted our show, but around the country, over 99% of the public were strongly opposed to this bailout, whereas their elected officials, both Democrat and Republican, chose to ignore the feedback from their citizens. Uh, do you feel like your party actually represents the position of the average American more so than the other two political parties right now? Well, the uh, passing of the bailout in the face of such overwhelming opposition really does demonstrate their total disregard of the American people. Uh, but yes, I mean, everywhere I go to speak, uh, the response is quite gratifying, and uh, people are very accepting of what I've got to say. It's just that not enough of them actually hear us, and I'm convinced if we could uh, have access to the national media so that we could be heard by the American people, that uh, it would bring about a change in this country. I would remind our listeners that the national media is also the one who is very active in selling the bailout alongside the leadership and officials from both political parties. Uh, the the, uh, the same uh, leading media that promoted the bailout over the wishes of the public is also the one who has not presented the information regarding the Constitution and party as well. And it's required alternative media to be able to get the word out uh, of your particular party itself. However, one huge development that occurred with your party was the endorsement of Congressman Ron. Ron Paul. Uh, can you elaborate a little bit about uh, what you feel like that does to uh, energize your movement here in the Constitution Party? Well, it brings uh, several thousand supporters for one thing. We've had a tremendous uh, increase in, in uh, interest since Dr. Paul endorsed us. It's brought us some fundraising, but more than anything else, uh, it's gotten us uh, before the national media to some extent. I mean, uh, Lou Dobbs gave Chuck Baldwin five minutes uh, that he hadn't given him before Dr. Paul started uh, talking to us, so uh, it's been very important and it's very gratifying to uh, see all the Ron Paul people that come to our speeches and, and listen to us and so forth. It's been a tremendous uh, help. 
All right. Um, the, the folks who are listening to this today are actually listening on, on the day of poll day, and they'll be heading out to the polls. Is there any particular advice you have for them, things for them to consider when they make this very, very important decision in this very confusing period of time where you have two highly unpopular candidates with the rank and file of both parties, uh, and they're basically debating over picking the lesser of two evils. So do you have any other feedback for them to consider of alternative views before they walk in and uh, pull the lever? Well, when you vote for either Obama or McCain, what you're really doing is sending a message to Washington that what they've been doing to us is okay and that you want more of it. Well, I'd just like to thank you so much for your time so with us today, and we wish you the very best for a future quake. As I've told you before, our audience is a kind that really resonate with the with the free, libertarian, constitutional message that you bring, and we welcome you back after the election at any time, even if you have to call from uh, the uh, Naval Observatory building. Uh, we would love to have you uh, back on our show at any time, and I want to thank you for your dedication and sacrifice of your time going around the country, trying to make our country a better place and doing your role. And, and all of us uh, back at Future Quake really appreciate that. Well, Dr. Future, thank you very much. It's uh, so good to hear those kind words, and it's always a pleasure talking with you. Thank you again. Nothing can change the shape of things. Nothing can change the shape of things to come. Well, it, it seems to me that, that terms like this and, and the whole concept of, of war on terror is one example has been used to accomplish the very things that I listed. Uh, many of those are very only loosely justified as, as, as supporting some type of war on terror. But it was here's, a, another, here's another one for you. How about this phrase? Ever heard it before? 9-11 changed everything? Right, right. Ever heard that? Of course, yes. we've all heard it. It's an excuse. Uh, it's an excuse to, to take things away that are cherished. To throw out, yeah, to throw out liberty and throw mm-hmm. out a lot of the things we've talked right. here about. Right, and we keep on being told 9-11 changed everything. No, it didn't. It didn't change. It didn't change human virtue. It didn't change the rules of war. It didn't change right and wrong. It didn't change honor. It didn't change lie and truth. It didn't change. It didn't change much of anything that matters. Uh, and yet, it's presented in such a way that this, as you say, it, it justifies um, overthrowing the Constitution. Uh, not true. Right. Why should the evangelical Christian be very concerned about this? Uh, because, because evangelical Christians have the same obligation that every human being has, at least. And that is, you are obligated to love the truth. Okay? And Christ himself said that if, if men, well, perhaps this is one of the apostles, says that, uh, if men do not love the truth, and because they do not, then they become subject to delusion, and delusions they shall have. Uh, we have we have no choice as Christians but to buy the truth and sell it not. And when we suspect lies, we should scrutinize them. When we see lies, we must take note of them, and we don't need to be so forgiving of our leadership, that we say, well, uh, our leaders lie to us, but we all know the politicians are corrupt, and uh, you've got to lie a little. Uh, that's inadequate. But what about our evangelical leaders? Uh, our, our talk show host, evangelical, the books that are written, they do not question 
any of these actions at all. They are the ones who are selling it. They are selling it on behalf of the government. They are justifying these actions. Uh, somehow they're looking the other way beyond Christian decency and looking at people jailed without charges. And they're the ones that are actually the ones selling it to the rest of their uh, Christian followers. You're right. I agree. Um, so what do we do? I mean, is what that is that any different than the Pharisees? Who, who who try to do the agenda of the Romans and are willing to sell out Jesus so they can maintain status quo, said better not to lose the uh, the whole country on account of one man hmm. when they have a relationship with these one of people and want to maintain the status quo so they carry the water for them in selling this and wrapping these uh, injustices in Christian terms? Um, I think it is a little different, and what I'm going to say uh, sounds ugly, and I don't mean it that way. I think the difference is that uh, most evangelical leaders are not intentionally misleading the people. I think I think it's what you might call honest self-delusion. Hmm. Um, I think you have people that have been drinking Kool-Aid for a while, um, and they're beginning to forget what's important. Uh, I, 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 I hope that, that, there, that this is not an actual deliberate attempt to um, mislead the body of Christ. Well, let's say that, I, I'm going to say right. it, let, let me just call it sloppy thinking. Well, let's say you're right, and I hope you are right, but let's say you're right. These are leaders that are leaders over millions of people in terms of their influence and their shows. They teach the Bible. They teach a, a manner of thinking with a biblical understanding. And they carry a lot of responsibility in terms of influencing untold millions of people with their discernment capability and their discernment in dividing God's word. If they're showing a fundamental misunderstanding in this discernment, and by the way, I'll count myself in this group. It was not all that long ago that I suddenly realized that I was ignoring the facts in front of me and just believing what I wanted to believe. But if if we put this kind of stock into them, to be a leader in these other very critical areas of our life and our Christian walk. Should we start asking some hard questions if they can't see these uh, simple points? Yes, we should ask. We should start asking these hard questions. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think we all recognize that when men uh, get in positions of leadership and they have a, a ministry, perhaps a widespread ministry, um, they can they can take on more than they can handle. Sometimes they're they're working through a staff. Uh, they're not taking the time to do due diligence. Um, I'm I'm trying to be forgiving here, right? I understand. Uh, and, and 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 help uh, help us understand. Um, but yeah, I I think um, I think mostly it's the it's the seduction of bigness. I think. Uh, I think we all want to succeed, uh, and we tend to take on more than we can really chew. And uh, when we start having uh, major responsibilities and major ministries, and maybe the money's coming in pretty well, and we feel like the blessing of God is on what we're doing. And you become uh, well-connected with people in power. We, we have a number of the largest evangelical leaders, people like uh, Rick Warren, people like the... Uh, uh, one of the major leaders of the Southern Baptist Convention, certainly their most vocal in Richard Land, that are now members of the Council on Foreign Relations. 
And it's got to be a great flattery to be invited to be invited up into the inner circle uh, and yep. be influenced by the thinking of these kind of people. But it just seems like, it, to finish your thought, it just seems awfully odd that somebody uh, somebody who's committed to Christ would be joining a, an organization that's committed to world government. And again, yes, it is. has not done the due uh, diligence that uh, you're talking about. Yeah, I, I'm astonished how evangelical thinking has changed. I remember as recently as a few years ago, uh, there were there were evangelical books that were being put out warning specifically about world government and the new world order. Yeah. And uh, and and now we find um, the same movement, if not the same people, uh, seeming to embrace this very thing. Uh, I'm astonished. Uh, well, what's happened? Well, to give them the benefit of the doubt, as you were saying. Uh, what can change that? Is there anything that we can do as the rank and file out here, the teeming masses, to somehow start something that, that helps them from the bottom up or, or some fashion? Um, and to, to create this awakening, uh, either, like I said, from the populace to the leadership or from the leadership on down, just within the evangelical world? I think, I think we can start asking some pertinent questions. I think perhaps it begins in uh, in conversations with uh, our local pastors, um, where where we ask questions and um, and and in in perhaps um, not too confrontational a way. Um, sometimes people say things uh, just because they haven't thought about them very clearly. Right. And so uh, you know, a word fitly spoken helps a person rethink that. Uh, Maybe they do need to adjust their thinking in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we find people that are pretty entrenched, um, then I think we have to be more um, persuasive and insistent uh, that that they justify what it is they're saying, and uh, and we may we may get to the point where we must must actually you know in a pretty public way uh, dispute. Things that are being said, um, I think it. I think it depends on on the circumstance. And, I, and let me say here, the libertarian viewpoint, uh, which I would like to champion here, mm-hmm. uh, is very doubtful of any form of central planning. Right. Uh, what I don't think we need to even worry about is uh, that w- that we have to centrally coordinate something here. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I, I like Albert J. Knox. Uh, article The Remnant, uh, right. and he says some interesting things. I would recommend anybody to read this. Uh, but the remnant is there, and uh, the remnant needs uh, sometimes to be encouraged uh, and prophesied to, uh, but the remnant can do what the remnant can do. Mm-hmm. And so conversations like this that we're having, uh, I think they're powerful. And uh, this may be multiplied, you know, a thousand times, ten thousand times, across the country. Christians need to be recommitting themselves to saying, I want the truth wherever it leads. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and hopefully our listeners, yeah. if they find this was constructive, will pass on this show, either make a copy and give it to friends or tell them where to get it at futurequake.com. Um, but we have to spread that, just like what we've learned with this whole financial mess where people finally got up out of their chair yeah, and did something amazing that's going to happen. The thing, that, the thing that bugs me the most about about a lot of this is that, you know, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the light. And 
we can arguably say that, you know, Christians may be committed to the way and possibly even the light, but we certainly fall down at the truth, and it, it radically affects those other two points. Mm-hmm. So pretty soon, you know, dark looks like light and light looks like dark. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes I find that Christians tend to uh, restrict themselves to just moral issues, which is all well and good, but, you know, let's take the stock market, mm-hmm. you know, as a very salient example. You've got the stock crash, which on the surface doesn't seem like a moral issue, except, you know, people all over the world are are in financial straits. Russia's stock market went mm-hmm. down 60% at there's, one point. There's widespread suffering, in other words. Yes. And it'll even impact yep. churches, bringing it back home. Yeah. It'll impact churches, the mission of uh, I just church heard, administered to other people. I don't listen to very much Christian radio, but for some reason I had it on, and uh, these two people who were talking, and they have a, you know, they're... I, I feel they were genuine in trying to help their callers and stuff. Uh, they interrupted their program at 15-minute intervals and said, we desperately need funds. We may not be on the on the air at the end of the week. And uh-huh. uh, we'd like, you know, however God wants to do this, we are committed mm-hmm. to the, the way the Lord wants to go. But we've been asked to pay up, and we've been put on a schedule and asked that we strictly mm-hmm. adhere to it, and we don't have enough money to make it to the end of next week. So... Uh, any donation would mm-hmm. be appreciated, great or small. Mm-hmm. And suddenly an economic issue that Christians have been avoiding, although I think you could certainly make mm-hmm. a case that mm-hmm. the economic issues, it wasn't really an economic issue, it was a, it was a moral issue. Mm-hmm. It was theft, you know. Yeah. It comes, comes back home. Yeah. Well, to, I guess to my interpretation of what you said about the way, the truth, and the life is that the pursuit of the truth is the pursuit of Jesus. Yeah. If you if you go trying to find the truth in these kind of things, you'll find Jesus there. Mm-hmm. And, if, and you'll understand Jesus more the more clearer you get to the truth. And, you know, that's perhaps I'm unique in that. That's something that's very big in my walk as a Christian. Uh, but it's it's important. If God was a tyrant, I'd want to know. If God didn't care, I'd want to know. If God was a big Hindu floaty thing, I would, I'd want to know. Mm-hmm. You know, it turns out he's this God that's, you know, loves so loves us so much that he's willing to put his own son up on the cross and, you know, and, and he wants you to know, and he wants me to know, he wants me to come and come mm-hmm. into a relationship through him, mm-hmm. um, right. and that's truth, you know. Right. Uh, tr- when people hang out with Christians, mm-hmm. they should f- learn more truth than they did before they hung out with Christians. Well, and I tell you, that was one. Of, I probably would have become a Christian much sooner had it not been for other Christians. Yeah. I can look back at Christian after Christian after Christian who would call themselves a follower of Jesus uh, but would do different things, whether it was, you know, they would steal or, you know, I don't know, go out at night at mm-hmm. party or something or condemn those who did or mm-hmm. just on and on and on like that. And it just didn't seem to me like they had any – it seems like they were deluded mm-hmm. and not more truthful. So you're saying their lifestyle as well as their worldview, they're all interconnected. Sure. They're all related Absolutely. to truth or untruth in the way we live all these kinds of mm-hmm. What's going on in our head, the actions we do are all a part of bigger expression. Yes. Well, Robert, we'd like to include you in the discussion since you're our, our guest yeah. here. There's some guy we have on the phone. We need to get, get him on. While, while you're there. Yeah. Um, if you'd like to comment on it, that's fine. If not, I've got another question for you. All right, go ahead. Uh, the attack on 911 uh, provided an impetus uh, for us to invade at least two nations directly, 
and begin, begin to uh, provoke conflicts with several others, uh, which has grown far beyond the original mission uh, that we have been told of punishing the perpetrators. It has gone on into spreading, quote, spreading American ideals uh, via the means of invasion and occupation, uh, including supporting the, ovation, uh, the invasion of South Ossetia recently, uh, which is now provoking a Russian response, which I would say even includes uh, them now uh, uh, starting a nuclear program that was just announced with Venezuela. So, so now we have created, because of these actions, uh, a response for them on our, you know, basically our own sphere here. What do you think really happened to cause this war on terror and the real motives, you think, for the actions since then? I would like to answer a different question, and then you can come back and ask me this again because well, I don't want to dodge it. We're not in a court of law, so I guess this. you have more flexibility. <laughs> when, when, we, when we look at the whole affair with uh, Russia and Ossetia uh, and what's going on right now uh, with the, the Americans crossing the border in Pakistan and so forth, I think what we're going to have to understand is, you know, and I hate to say this, but I've got to say it, is that we have a federal establishment, a military-industrial complex that right now is completely out of control. It recognizes no constitutional safeguards. It recognizes no international law. It recognizes no will of the American people. They fight whom they want to fight. They kill whom they want to kill and they do whatever it is they want to do. This is what you might call real politic, uh, not in the sense that this is the real world, but this is simply might-makes-right politics. This, this has no reference to uh, universal human values. It has no refer reference to international law. It has no reference to the teachings of Scripture, either Old Testament or New. We have a federal military-industrial establishment right now that is completely out of control. And we're going to have to just admit it, okay? And the wars that we are fighting now and the wars that we are sending our sons and our daughters to die in and to kill in, we are not examining at all carefully. And the talk that has been given... Uh, by our government about what is going on in South Ossetia, Georgia, Turkey, Pakistan, the country of the weak, is palpably false. The world knows this. Some Americans know this. Hmm. The evangelical church has been the most gullible section of the country in believing this. Uh, this concerns me because this seems to me to be a bias that there's something is going on that the evangelical church wants to believe. That's why they're easily persuaded. I'm not sure what that reason is. But I will say that the 9-11, the 9-11 episode whatever its origins were, has been cynically used to sell us on this global war on terror and so forth. 
And I think that this is, I think the evidence is quite clear that this was intended, just as we know that original plans were made by men inside and outside the military, industrial, security, revolving door complex, uh, back as early as the Clinton administration, that they wanted a war with Iraq, uh, and all they were looking for was a pretext. So, I think, uh, I, I think we need to look at the motives. And if some good Christian wants to disagree with me on that, I'm perfectly willing to be disagreed with, but I would encourage them to do some due diligence and see if they can find for themselves what the real motivations were and why we now have an army telling us that we are entering into a period of perpetual conflict. Mm-hmm. Why is this? When the Cold War ended in 1991, and we supposedly had the end of history and so forth, uh, now why is it that we have to have the era of perpetual conflict? So I'm going to answer your question with a question. Uh, wasn't that an exact term you've been told recently by somebody yeah. with I have military a, connections? I have a friend who's got some military connections, and uh, at one point he was uh, just very recently, within the last 10 days, he was uh, uh, he went attended a seminar given by a very high-level colonel who said, uh, we've entered a period of sustained, persistent conflict. Um, and then he listed some... He listed some reasons, and he said the borders are changing, and nobody's sure uh, where what is what, and things are. There's just going to be a lot more overseas incursions by the United States uh, armed forces, and then went on to uh, justify, comfort comfort the individuals he was talking about, saying things like, "Don't worry, we actually have these, we have weapons uh, that are." You know, powerful, and then he listed some, I guess, crazy stuff, such as the fact that they have the power to uh, uh, swarm insects and have them attack the other side, and just stuff beyond bizarre. bizarre. This was in a military meeting. Yes, someone you knew. Uh-huh. Uh So, in other words, it's already a doctrine. Yes. That perpetual war is already sustained, persistent been conflict, and there conflict, has yes. there has been an event that has happened that mm-hmm. has given them the capability to engage in this doctrine. That makes me nervous, given the, given the fact that uh, starting, uh, starting October 1st, there tomorrow. Are now, yeah, tomorrow, there are now, um, they're going to implement, uh, I think it's a division, maybe it's the entire Third it's Army. A, I'm not bur- sure. It's a brigade, yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a brigade, it's a yeah. brigade of troops now here to act as uh, a peacekeeping force on our own soil. Mm-hmm. And, and to quell riots of our populace. Yes. That's by their own admission. Yeah, yeah. to quell yeah. civil unrest, I think, yeah, was civil, the exact term. Civil, yes. civil unrest. Uh, so, so I guess going back to your, your comment about people doing their own due diligence and understanding the whys, this requires real bravery on their behalf, does it not, Robert, for them to keep an open mind and, and to not swallow just any theory, but to see what the data really does tell them and be willing to accept whatever it does, and particularly when the information holds water by explaining the other actions that have occurred since then? Um, I, could, I could sympathize here and say, yeah, it requires real bravery, but, I, but I'd like to throw a little guilt trip on the evangelical church. <laughs> I, I don't like 
I don't like to do that, but here goes. The fact of the matter is that in the evangelical church, there is a strong, there remains a strong missionary movement. And there are a lot of great Christians that are out on the front lines doing things for Christ at great risk to themselves and dealing with indigenous populations. Mm -hmm. When the evangelical church does not understand what the circumstances are and does not support these people who are doing the true work of Christ and they are doing the true business of the Great Commission of the Church, and you have a long arm of the evangelical church that is supporting a kind of willy-nilly militarism that is out killing by the thousands the very people for whom Christ died and whom good Christians are putting themselves at risk to save. Okay? I don't, I don't know that, uh, this requires a great deal of bravery on the part of evangelical Christians to wake up and understand the fundamentals of the insanity of what they are supporting. Their, their, their knowledge of their Christian brothers and the Great Commission and what is happening around the world ought to clarify them of that. It sounds to me like we have a, a whole evangelical church that is hooked on listening to the mainstream media and they get their cues there and they're not listening to, they're not listening to the Spirit of God. They're not even listening to their own brothers and sisters. Uh, who are out there on the field and are seeing very, very different things from what the American media and the American government is trying to uh, foist on us. Hmm. And I'm particularly talking about what is going on in the Muslim world, uh, but it's not exclusively that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so uh, I think that the evangelical church individually and collectively uh, is long overdue for a serious scolding. Mm-hmm. And I hope my words are not too mild there. Um, I, I think there there needs to be some hard-hitting prophetic speech to the evangelical church. Mm-hmm. So if I understood you correctly, we have brothers and sisters in the field who, who, who have who are working through the mind of Christ, who are actively doing Christ's work, who are embedded. They're, they're like these embedded reporters. They're truly embedded in the culture. They're embedded yeah. with the people, not on the other side of the uh, battle line. They're they're embedded within them, and they can actually see probably better than anyone, much better than uh, the the media and what their motivations are for the message they give us. What's really going on? And we're not listening to them. We're, we're choosing what people of unknown motives are telling us, rather than our fellow believers in the Lord who are out there doing the Lord's work. Yes, and let me make a pitch for Christian libertarianism here. The way it works is that. People persuade other people with the love of Christ, and Christ does his transforming work in these people's hearts. It is not American guns and grenades that is converting anybody to Jesus Christ. Coercion like this does not work. This is, I'm not making a political statement, I'm making just a flat statement mm-hmm. uh, about, about reality, about human nature. Nor, uh, nor does it nor does it typically make people safer. Nor does it make people safer. Very interesting. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it like that. I want to move on and uh, 
uh, sort of clarify some things here. You know, one who's listening here and uh, maybe have a lot to digest in our in our discussion here might interpret the questions that I'm asking you uh, to imply that that I perceive the greatest enemy that we have to be our own government, or our own sources of information, being our media or, or other leaders, and that neither their words nor those of the mainstream media should be trusted at all. Is that a reasonable position to take? And if so, why? And how can uh, Bible-believing evangelicals uh, take these positions by, without appearing to be something like some kind of Marxist radical uh, in the, in their sounds? Um, well, I, I think uh, the, the best way to say it is to be more specific about what we'll call the government. Let's understand, we all have good friends, great Christian people who are working in the federal government, mm -hmm. uh, doing all kinds of great things. Uh, we've got postal workers. We've got scientists working in national labs. We've got uh, people, uh, military, Christians in the military. Uh, we've got Christians in the State Department. We've got Christians in many places. Uh, and these are wonderful people. And so, uh, you know, it's it's... It's not fair to them who are, you know, doing whatever God has called them to do, to to just broadly say uh, the federal government. Mm -hmm. I think what we have to do is be more specific. Uh, we have to say more more specifically who is doing what to whom. Okay, and of course that gets tough because uh, a lot of things are done behind closed doors. Uh, we haven't figured out who the little guy is behind the curtain in the Wizard of Oz. Uh, and so uh, we're, we're at a point where we have to say um, there's a lot we don't know that we would like to know. Um, so I would say we, we need to be wise. We need mm -hmm. to be careful. Um, mm -hmm. we, we, can't, uh, we can't demonize the, the federal government, uh, even though we see serious, serious dangers. Well, let me let me paraphrase what I'm trying to say here, uh, and, and I think it was echoed by Dr. Jerome Corsi when he was on our show. He, he sort of echoed the, sort of where I'm coming through. He, he says that when he listens to an announcement by our federal government, when they have a press conference and want to announce this or sort of you know push this or promote this, where he sees a common theme in media, his first response is, "What are they trying to sell me?" Not is yes. is this a complete and full disclosure of what is truth, but his thought is. What is the position they're trying to sell? Who is the motive? Who makes the money from this? Who gains the power? What is the purpose behind what they're doing? When you have that attitude toward what is said, it completely changes how you process what you hear. And I think that's what I'm getting at. Is that fair? Is that really an enlightened way to consider what these sources, people of power and influence, uh, when they have a message that comes to us? Is, is that an appropriate way to look at it? I think it's one appropriate way to look at it. I th I'm, the way he recommends, I think that's that's good. Uh, I've mentioned to people, you know, there's this there's this typical silly American slogan that says, uh, you know, if it walks like a duck, talks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it must be a duck. Right. Um, you know, that's really silly thinking. Uh, what this means in practicality is. Um, if it looks like a sheep, is woolly like a sheep, goes bad bad like a sheep, it couldn't possibly be a wolf in sheep's clothing. 
Wow. You follow me? Yeah. Okay. What we what this means is if we have if we have evangelical leaders who follow the kind of thinking that is superficial, that does not ask probing questions, we have shepherds who do not know what a wolf looks like. So I guess what I'm saying is I think what Dr. Corson said is an excellent step in the right direction. Well, it's my paraphrase, uh, and it's through the lens yeah, of a similar of, position of where I'm coming through. Start asking questions. What What is the advantage of naive belief? Okay? Um, we're told that love endures and love believes all things. Um, and... Uh, and it, and, and that's true, of course. The Bible says it. Love does believe all things. But, but I think primarily when we say love believes all things, we should construe that as being love believes the promises of God, uh, not that love believes the lies of the devil and that, uh, credulity is some kind of, uh, Christian virtue. Hmm. Uh, and I think and I think um, a lot of Americans, you know, sort of say, well, I just try to believe the best about everybody. Um, well, maybe. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. I, I think it would be better to believe the best about the promises of God. Uh, I, I'm not sure we need mm-hmm. to believe the best about the evil one. Mm-hmm. Well, all I can say from personal experience is that when I take that mindset, uh, whenever a press conference is held or information is released to the media, it's always done, particularly if it's celebrities or whatever, and I think our government does the same thing. Basically, it's, gone, it's done through publicists that basically are involved in public relations. And what they're trying to do for their client, whether it's a celebrity, sports figure, whatever, is to create a certain mindset of how the public perceives their client. Uh, and usually in some kind of term that's that's in a positive way, but the ultimate end is a way that meets the aims of the person, usually a monetary aim, you know, so they'll be popular at the box office uh, or they'll be popular in the negotiations for a contract or, or whatever. So they have an agenda, and then they bring the publicist in to package the information to achieve that ad- uh, agenda to the public. And, and I see this same process going on with our own federal government and how they package, and, and it's not one administration or the other, it's all of them, uh, on how they do that to sell the public on a certain way to think. The media is an arm and extension that takes that information and does that on their behalf. Uh, the corporate world does the same kind of thing. Uh, their commercials are carefully structured to send a certain image to the public. When, when you think of the information that comes in your head in that light, it really can change how you process it in a worldview. Right. Well, uh, l- l- let me uh, let me move on to the uh, discussion. Uh, we'll touch a little bit on the political side of things. Uh, evangelicals have long been associated with the Republican Party, uh, particularly since the Reagan era. Uh, they now aggressively support a candidate right now who, as we've mentioned many times on our shows, calls other evangelicals agents of intolerance So Mc- uh, in McCain. Are you John saying McCain, John McCain called John McCain. Christians agents of intolerance? Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, is a serial adulterer, uh, has stated he has no problem with pro-choice running mates, and has, has blocked pro-life judges while supporting those like Ruth Bader Ginsburg. He stood in opposition to Republican conservatives with his Democratic friends and the Gang of 14. 
and it almost ran as John Kerry's running mate in the last election. Wow. Uh, uh, all in the cause of, of uh, uh, you know, opposing this the Democrat, whoever the de- Democratic candidate, they have supported this, evangelicals. Mm-hmm. Are evangelical leaders merely trying to preserve some illusion of power and influence in the Republican Party by clinging to a party that holds them in such contempt? Uh, such as by their nomination of McCain and total mockery of the values of evangelicals, and, and, and does uh, does McCain's desire to make war, which appears to be the desire of the average evangelical leader, trump all of his other shortcomings regarding his morality? Uh, apparently, it does. Apparently, his desire to make war does trump all other issues concerning his morality, and this in, in uh, their minds, in their mindset, in in their minds. And so what I am confronted with, and I hope this is not true, but it appears to be true, is that the evangelical Christians have fallen in love with war, and they are willing to sacrifice anything in order to get it. Uh, I'm horrified. Uh, I, I, I cannot explain this. Uh, I, I cannot explain what is going on. All I can say is I am horrified. Apparently... Apparently, the love of war uh, and the belief that wholesale slaughter of people uh, using lies, deceptions, weapons of mass destruction, nuclear war, uh, armies of insects, fraud and deceit is so dear to the hearts of the evangelical Christian community that they're not going to uh, they're not going to stand for anything if it gets in the way of this. Have I spoken mm-hmm. too bluntly? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that's one part of it. it is is a is a war lust. The other part is is that there has been a lot of invested energy put into the Republican Party by the evangelical leadership, uh, and they perceive themselves as having some kind of power and influence. Now, I would consider it largely illusory right now because the rank and file Republican has totally rejected the evangelical in their choice of McCain. McCain was not their first choice, as I understand it. But they have been totally mocked and Pretty said, we know, we know you'll come along anyway, so we've picked who we want. So the, the average Republican has isolated themselves from the supposed moral stance of, of the typical evangelical. But they're supporting them anyway. Is the explanation that they feel like they have power that they, even if it's they're, they're deluded in that fact, power that they're afraid to get rid of by walking away from the Republican Party? Maybe, maybe it's illusion of power. Um, I, I think I would just call it wishful thinking. I, I think I think that's where I'm going to that's where I'm going to leave it. They have so much invested mentally in uh, the Republican agenda. They have committed themselves so heavily to their constituency, the evangelical church. Uh, it's gonna, it's gonna be basically, I think, almost impossible for them to backtrack. Um, and, and they, they may be believing their own storyline. Uh, there's something self-reinforcing about it. When you have a bunch of evangelicals sitting around a table, agreeing with each other and telling each other what they all believe, and you have this groupthink that develops, you know, I'm sorry to say, but that's what happens. Could I could I move to a happier subject, however? <laughs> if you okay? want to, I have more to I ask would, you, but I would yeah. like to move to a happier subject. The happier subject that I see is that there is coming a sea change among evangelicals. 
okay? Because just as Christ has not forgotten the poor all around the world, even though uh, the, the military-industrial establishment has declared war on them and with their allies in the evangelical church, even though Christ has not forgotten them, Christ has also not forgotten the evangelical church. And one of the great things that I see happening in the evangelical church is if you deal with young people under the age of, say, 25 or 30 who do not have a commitment to the people who put the Republican Party in power, and these are the people who are being told that they should go and fight in this war in Iraq and wherever else they're being sent to do this. You are finding, I am finding, among people of this age group that they are willing to ask the question, and they are willing to say, we don't buy this. They are willing to go out there and crusade for Ron Paul, who is the most genuine Christian candidate we have right now, while their older brothers and parents and so forth are drinking the Kool-Aid we have some younger Christians who see things quite differently. Now, there's going to be generational stress for quite a while while this goes on. But uh, maybe if the Republicans lose soundly and the evangelical leaders uh, lose their voice, uh, this thing will happen more quickly. So perhaps that's what we should pray to have happen. I don't know. Uh, but the number of young evangelicals is increasing, and the number of old evangelicals, you know, sooner or later, they have to retire. Um, so if I've said that in the way that I need to say it, so, so there is so, some so there's for, some serious hope here. For some of our local people here in the Nashville area, it sounds to me like you're talking the demographic like the people down at the Anchor. Uh, that yeah. we meet with in our documentary right. night uh, for those who've had a chance to come down there and join us. Yes, uh, I would say says, so. Jesus says stuff like, you know, feed the poor. So they go, wow, maybe we should do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. And, and they ask the questions Jesus would ask about accepting uh, the worldview that's given to us by the media. Right. Rather than saluting and moving on like a, a good, loyal American, much like we did in the Cold War. And I'm not trying to say the Cold War didn't have still a lot of truth into it with with a menace overseas and things going on. Right. But that was a process of beginning to indoctrinate a public on a worldview using sophisticated media techniques. Uh, yes. And you've pointed out even World War One, there was a cell job that was done for some period of time. Uh, but but the Cold War was one that was a, a generation long uh, constructing of a worldview. And, and right. there was there was truth in there. And then there was a lot of fluff mixed in to help sell more arms. And we That's see correct. that going on in the war on terror. We have people that want to sell a lot of arms and people that want to go through a lot of bullets so they can sell more of them and do different things. And all that's mixed into the fray. And now there's people who are saying, wait a minute, let's let's find out what, what the agenda is. Rather than just saluting and, and saying, we'll, we'll stay on the point of what you told us, they're asking these questions. And, and maybe it's a little bit like some of those young people back in the 60s. Um, I don't think necessarily all their motives were good. There was a lot of laziness and a lot of uh, just rebellion for rebellion's sake mixed in with them, but there was a lot of genuine questions being asked, too. And they were demonized by the church for asking those questions. That is correct. Wow. Well, and, but when they, when they became Christians, they re- revolutionized and revitalized the church. Mm-hmm. 
and, and maybe help save it in the yes. West. Sounds like what we need is a big hippie bus. <laughs> that sounds great to me. Okay? You, you drive and I'll ride, or you ride and I'll drive. We'll pile all the Futurians into yeah. it. Hey, I've just got a, I got a few more questions I want to ask you, and this relates to, to what we've just discussed. Um, it has been said by some scholars that the desire now for some evangelicals to wrest control uh, of the reins of government and run this theocracy on earth is called dominionism. We've, called, we've talked about it on, on our show a few times. And they further believe, uh, these dominionists, uh, that it's necessary to do so to provide the subjugation of the earth uh, due to this exhortation they see in Scripture to occupy until I come, based upon a parable that Jesus told, and to help facilitate, they believe they're help facilitating the return of Jesus to earth once they have subjugated the governments of this world. Uh, and many, many evangelicals are either overtly behind it and, and say in print they are, or their actions do. Um, I submit that, it, in essence, what they've done is they've selected Barabbas as a zealot uh, uh, using military-style conquering, uh, you know, of the to conquer the evil empire for God, rather than the kingdom of God approach that was espoused by Jesus. How do you think evangelicals should respond to dominionist teaching? Um, I think I'm going to have to take a pass on that, uh, simply due to lack of information. I've read a little bit about dominionist teaching, uh, but I don't feel that I have uh, enough of a spectrum of understanding about that okay. to, to say anything worthwhile. I, I'd love to, I'd love to say something if I knew what I was talking about, but I think I'll take a pass. Well, I'll just tell the judges to make a note that the contestant he takes a pass. Fist. He takes a pass on that one. I don't recall, Senator. Well, we'll, right. we'll, 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 we'll I, I am not going to say that that's above my pay grade. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will. Uh, I will go to uh, proceed here, rounding third base here on our discussion here. Uh, All right. Many Bible believing uh, evangelical Christians who value and respect Bible prophecy. Here, here's here's another toughie. Okay, we've had one after the other here. Uh, who respect Bible prophecy have been taught that God's promise to Abraham that I will bless those who bless so and curse those who curse you, means that we need to do whatever we are asked of by the government of modern-day Israel and refrain from ever condemning their actions so our country can be blessed uh, up until the time of the Lord's return. What do you think is the proper role for a Christian, the church, and the American government toward the state of Israel? Uh, and any kind of exhortations you have from the Bible regarding that and examples, for example, such as Christ's treatment of the leadership of Israel? <laughs> you you know you have a way of packing whole theological schools of thought into a question here. Is that and, right? And, uh, you, you, <laughs> you think uh, you know I'm I'm going to give you a definitive answer, uh, but but let me say this about God's promise to Abraham that I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. Of course, I believe that as you do, as any good Bible believing person does. And this promise that God made to Abraham is huge, it's wonderful, and it's very expensive, uh, and it's very long-lasting. So, so let's, let's pay absolute respect to God's promise to Abraham, because God and Abraham have been around a lot longer than we have, and, uh, mm -hmm. and, and we're rather late comers to God's blessing. But let me say this. Uh, we are told in the New Testament... Not that God revoked this, as some people would like to say, 
that God revoked his promise to Abraham. Rather, what he did was he enlarged it. And the Apostle Paul tells us quite clearly that all those who are of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. I, as a Christian, am Abraham's seed by adoption, but adoption is good enough. Uh, and so I am one of those, and you are one of those, and all of those who have faith in God will be those who are blessed. And so the promise to Abraham includes me, uh, that he will bless uh, me, uh, and, and he will bless those who bless me, and he will curse those who curse me. Uh, and this is a promise that a Christian can claim as a protection, so to speak, um, as well as the children of Israel. Uh, any person who has faith in God is under the blessing and protection of God, and he will bless those who bless us and curse those who curse us. Well, now, as you know, this is uh, uh, there is a teaching called replacement theology that yes. says that basically what happened this this broad blessing that you're talking about in the body of Christ has in essence replaced any special role for Israel in the last days. I know this is more than a show's worth of discussion here, but um, are you actually saying that there's still no special role in any form for the nation of Israel in the future, or what? What are you saying? Mm -hmm. I do not hold with replacement theology. Okay. Uh, I would I would say it's inclusion theology, uh, and I use for that uh, the Apostle Paul's analogy that he uses in this very context. He says this is like an olive tree that has had its branches cut off for some reason, and you, being a wild olive, have been grafted in. Having said that, you are part of the tree. God is, however, able and willing and intending to graft the natural branches back in. I, I think that's clear, and that's the way I view the theology on this subject. So it's not replacement. It's inclusion. Mm -hmm. uh, what I think has to be said, however, in, in the, the proper role of a Christian in regards to the government of the state of Israel is that the state of Israel is not exceptional, just as the American government is not exceptional. That is, it has been common for Americans, including American Christians, to say that because America is a nation with a Christian destiny, therefore we can misbehave and still get by with it, because God will bless us. That's mm -hmm. essentially the dodge that a lot of Americans have taken. And this is why we feel willing to skim over some of the sins of the nation and the sins of the government. Because we say, well, since America is blessed by God, we can get by with murder. That is not true. America has an obligation as strong or stronger than any other country to have real fidelity to God and Jesus Christ. By the same token, the state of Israel's government also is not exceptional. 
God is not excluding them or excusing them from their responsibilities of justice, mercy, humanity, kindness, etc. If anything, his expectations of them are at least as strong or stronger than he would place on any other nation, Mm -hmm. because they of all people should know what God's will is. Therefore, when we see the government of the state of Israel engaging in crimes or behaviors that are not befitting, and we know that they are not befitting because we know, then we should not be pretending that this is okay. My personal opinion is that the government of the state of Israel is long overdue from for some loving but stern and plain rebuke on the part of American Christians for their misbehaviors where and if they exist. Mm-hmm. Well, let me let me uh, just say for our listeners, since you and I have known each other for three decades, that we were raised in an environment that uh, was taught clearly that God had an end times role for Israel of some form. Of yes. some form, there was a special relationship, and there are still special actions unique to them that will be done. We were raised in that environment, uh, taught even taught it ourselves uh, in different ways and things. And in prior, in recent years, in fact, you've had some influence in me in, in trying to come up with a more biblically defendable position uh, of this. Uh, I would say in my trying to get my arms around this, there's some examples in Scripture. For example, when Jesus was on earth, um, we, we have no doubt that Jesus loved Israel. We, we know he cried for it. He said, you know, I'd like to gather you under my you know, like, you know, wings, wings, you know. Uh, He he came, obviously, out of love for his people. But yet, at the same time, he didn't resist rebuking the leadership of the group. So while we understood he, heaven forbid that Jesus would go against any kind of covenant between his father and Abraham. Right. So we don't understand him as breaking any covenant uh, there. But yet, at the same time, he is at liberty to rebuke them when they're wrong. Yeah, uh, and, and and representing them as something that's not what God intended them to be, or or even abusing their 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 fellow uh, followers, Jewish followers that were following them. So he was at liberty yeah. to do that. Also, when he left, he told them that uh, terrible destruction would come a generation afterwards, and that uh, you know not a brick would remain of the temple. Now he certainly had the power uh, by which he could have stopped that had he seen fit. Uh, we, we, again, we don't question his love for them or God's plan for them. But yet at the same time, he saw fit that this destruction was essential in the big picture of what was going on. So, yeah. And he told them there were sins and things that they had done that would result in this. So even though he had the power to stop it, he did not stop it. And we still understand that he had love and a special plan for them in the future. In, in the same point, when we go back at the time of the exile... There came a point when God said that your sins have, have piled up so much that you're going to have to go into exile uh, to learn a lesson that's required. It's, it's sad. I'd rather not be that way, but it's going to happen. And he actually told others, whether it's prophets or others, do not resist this. Allow yeah. this to happen. It is part of the bigger plan. No one is going to resist the plan of God in the big picture. Uh, and 
so people who did come to their aid, uh, you know, let's say it was an Egyptian army that would come and help stand off against Nebuchadnezzar or whatever, we, we have no indication that they were specially blessed or that they were considered as honoring Abraham by going in and resisting the will of God in, in, in what was happening to them. Now, I don't want to be misconstrued in saying that it was justified that they went through the Holocaust or justified they went through all this torture and everything. Anytime evil is perpetuated on another person, there's no, there's no toleration for that, and neither should we stand by it. And, and thanks, uh, thanks be to God for those brave souls who, who hid or smuggled Jews out or protected individuals. However, we can see that God has a long-term plan. He is going to evoke it in these people. No matter what anyone else does, and if people get in the way of God's plan, uh, heaven help them if they do. Some of those plans in include incredible uh, difficulties, incredible strife, and it has already been written. There's nothing America can do or anything else can change what is written in these things. We can stand up for honesty and decency. We can stand up for individuals. We can protect individuals when we can. But the big picture thing God is going to accomplish in his people, correct? Have I spoken anything heretical there in what I've shared? Um, I'm agreeing with you so far. I'm waiting for something that I can disagree with. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I think I basically said my piece. <laughs> uh, in, in trying to come to terms with what God's Word says and trying to stay in line with it, but also not to go extra biblical and, and go into a, a cultural relic beyond truly what God's Word says. Uh, I, I still think that... Uh, uh, often we can meddle in God's working through someone, uh, being well-meaning and thinking that we're trying to do something for their benefit when we actually get in the way of God's work. Uh, so I, God, God would, you know, if we offer a cold water to someone in His name, that's never against His will. If we look out for the uh, the well-being of someone who's suffering and innocent poor, that's never against His will. But when we get into the political intrigue and things like this, when, when God has a bigger plan that's working, we better pause and make sure that we're not getting in the way of, of what he's doing to refine and purify other people. God wasn't really into, like, spy versus spy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you exclude the 12, you know, but uh, or, the, uh, or, the, or the two spies that went into Jericho. But, but, okay. but, but I, I think the, the, the point that I'm making is that... Uh, um, we take one verse out of the Bible, just like I mentioned the Dominionist verse, which was taken out of a parable about Occupy to Come that was just in, in a fictional story about one person to another. Uh, we can do that, and even though we cling to the Bible so strongly, a lot of times we miss the forest for the trees. And so, anyway, I just wondered what your thoughts were on this, because obviously this is an extreme controversy, particularly between those sincere Bible-believing evangelicals that believe and trust the Word of God in His prophetic Word, the literalness of His prophetic Word, and want to be on the right side of the fence. And I, th I think it's much more complicated than that, and we need to do a lot of soul-searching about this. Would you agree with me? Yeah. Um, if I've got the time to, to say something about uh, King Ahab, I'd like to do that, and then and draw a conversation into an area that uh, is particularly interesting to me as a Christian libertarian. Um, I was helped by going back and rereading the story of Ahab and Jehoshaphat. And you will recall that in the book of the Kings, I believe it is, it tells the story of the time that uh, King Ahab, who was the king of the northern half of Israel, he was technically the king of Israel, uh, he decided that he was going to give a war, and he had a brother king from the southern kingdom, King Jehoshaphat. Mm -hmm. And King Jehoshaphat is 
is the good guy in the story, and King Ahab is a bad guy. King Ahab is guilty of murder and uh, and fraud and, and so forth and, and various things, mm-hmm. and so he's not a very good king, whereas Jehoshaphat is a good king. He loves God. Uh, he's seeking the welfare of his people and so forth. And Ahab is uh, decides that he is going to start a war against neighboring Syria. Uh, what is interesting is that Jehoshaphat, the well-meaning king, uh, of of the re, the re, more religious uh, and God fearing sector of Israel decides he he wants to be patriotic and help his brother king. Uh, what happens in the story is that uh, he's really not successful. Uh, Ahab is killed. Uh, God reveals it as His will before Ahab is killed that that's His intention, and God further tells King Jehoshaphat. Uh, you don't need to be supporting King Ahab. Um, the reason I'm bringing this up is because King Ahab was a king of Israel. He was technically under the covenant of Abraham. Him that blesseth thee, I will bless. Him that curseth mm-hmm. thee, I will curse. The fact that he was under the covenant of Abraham did not exclude him from being severely chastised and disciplined by God when he was guilty of common crimes. And Jehoshaphat's support of him, in spite of his common crimes, was not considered a blessing. This did not work out to Jehoshaphat's advantage. Um, And I would like to draw the analogy that if we have people in government even in the government of a wonderful nation, and these people are unworthy of their responsibility, and they take their responsibility and they they use it to feather their own nests, to have their own personal agendas, to kill people, to defraud people. The general statements of God's blessing on the nation, uh, while they are not revoked, and at some future time God will bring some kind of blessing, does not limit God from bringing judgment in that situation, and the good guys who are on the side looking at this don't need to be enabling it. Mm -hmm. They need to be warning their brethren not to be making these mistakes or committing these crimes. And this is where I I, I see a lesson in this that I just think applies across time. When people take the general blessings that God gives to Abraham, and they use this Uh, as a protection and saying, therefore, we are above criticism, uh, that's false. It's plainly false. If we were to take that position today regarding Israel, that would not in any way offer any resistance to God's unfolding plan of prophecy uh, for his nation or his prophetic word at the end of times. I, I, I can't see that it would. All right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it at that for another for the day. We just got a couple more questions to wrap up here. Oh, I, well, before you start on that, you haven't asked me my question about the relationship of the Christian and the state, so we'll save that for some other program. All right? Okay. 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 All right. Well, I tell you what we can do. Uh, I can um, we'll we'll come back and we'll wrap this up for another day. I know we've been on for a long time, but these are foundational information that we need to cover. 
uh, and I want you to come back soon to our show. Uh, would you do that? All right. I'd love to. Yeah. Uh, we have s- still some questions on the table. Uh, I know we've had a marathon session going through these things. These are the exact things, though, that need, people need to have on their hands and need to be um, discussing and debating. Would you not agree with me? I- I'm with you. Okay. Uh, any final uh, exhortations for people as we're coming up to our, our time of election and uh, our time of big decisions are going to be made uh, here in the next few months ahead? Um, I, would, I would like to put a question to your evangelical listeners. I'm assuming that, that, uh, that the, the largest of a number of your listeners, is that true, you right. think? Certainly. Um, I would like to ask your evangelical listeners who consider themselves politically responsible, uh, they're concerned about their country, they want what's best for their country, uh, they believe that they should be active, they should be involved, they should stand up for Christ, uh, they should have a Christian worldview. I would like to ask your evangelical listeners, collectively and individually, where were they when Dr. Ron Paul was running for president? Where were they? Where was their due diligence? Where were they examining the issues? Dr. Ron Paul was was and is absolutely a pro-life Christian. This man is an obstetrician who has delivered thousands of babies. His pro-life position is not a political position. It is a matter of personal conviction. He has lived his life this way. Dr. Ron Paul has always supported constitutional government. He has always urged fair play. He has urged respect for the law. He has loved his country. He has not swerved. He has been married to the same woman for 50-some years. He has raised an exemplary family. He has not blown left and right on the issues, what he has believed in the past, is what he believes now. He has been on the national scene for a number of years. The evangelical Christian leadership knows he is there. They know he exists. Okay? This, I'm talking about your well-known evangelical leaders. Right. The famous, the famous media people of the evangelical movement. I won't name names, but, but they all apply. Yeah. If they've been politically active, they know that Ron Paul exists. Why is it that none of them, none of them, supported this man in his effort? Why is it that Christians are so dependent upon either the mainstream media or their evangelical leaders that they are not doing their own prayerful research and looking for a real man of God? Now, it's, That's it's not, my question. It's not that they didn't. They didn't even, those who had media you know, outlets, did not even allow a gentleman like a Ron Paul to come in and discuss his case. It was not allowed for him to even make his positions known. He was pers- purposely excluded 
from meetings of groups like the Council on National Policy and other groups from right. even having an opportunity to make this case known. We now oh, yeah, and, and and take and take any Christian talk show that you want. How many times did they invite Dr. Ron Paul to be on their show? Name name me any Christian leader that ever invited Dr. Ron Paul to speak. Uh, actually, there's probably one you could. Okay, I think he spoke at Liberty University once. What about Future Quake? He yeah. was invited. His son, his son came and spoke on Future Quake. Yeah, I, that's that's true. Uh, now, uh, but 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 I don't call you an evangelical leader, Doctor Future. Thank you. Well, I, I don't know if that's a compliment or not. Uh, but In my the, book, it is. But the uh, you know, don't we have the same situation with uh, uh, Ch- Doctor Chuck Baldwin, a Baptist pastor who's running in the third largest party in the country? Uh, he has been similarly excluded from even meeting with these groups, the the groups that decide who gets the evangelical vote, a council of national policy, and elsewhere. They they, they are purposely told to walk out the door and not come back. Right, As and that's a question. That's a question that I don't want to answer. That's a question I want to ask. I want to seriously ask. I'd like for any. I would like for any of your evangelical listeners to come up with an answer to that question. Well, and I will give them a forum here on Future Quake. I, I think Tom would agree with me if you have a really good answer to that. The only answer I've ever heard is, again, back to this thing about war. Uh, the anti-war position of both Dr. Paul and Dr. Baldwin was a Trump issue regardless of how godly and decent these gentlemen were. The ability to wage larger and larger war was the overwhelming concern of evangelicals, of God-fearing people that immediately turned off the uh, moral authority these gentlemen had in every other aspect of our life. Well, in in, in deference, well, just to play devil's advocate, having dis- had discussions about this with other people who I think would describe themselves as evangelicals, typically what they've said is uh, his position was, and you know he stated this that uh, we did 9/11 to ourselves, uh, referring, of course, to uh, any any number of different. Um, conspiratorial well, thinking, right. and that, I think, turned them off. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't say it turned them off, but was it the fact that they could totally refute what he said in regard to that? In other words, they had clear data to know for sure that that position was wrong? Well, I didn't poll them on it. You know, it was <laughs> I mean, I'm not disputing not what like you I, said. You know, it's they, not like I sat down and we had, yeah. you know, they weren't drawing right. the, you know, Phase right. shift synth analysis and stuff on right. on steel, but that gets back so, to the whole crux of what we've talked about today. Sure, is that people need to question rather than label. They need to question and say, when has truth risen up and spoken, even if it's come from an unexpected quarter. Mm-hmm. I think you were correct, sir. Robert, any uh, yes. any comment on that or last words before we call it an, all a day? Um, I I, I guess I we've pretty well covered it tonight haven't we okay yeah well i want to thank you so much i know it's been a long session we'll be spreading this out over a number of shows uh but it's something that needed to be said and uh hopefully we'll get an interesting response back from our listeners about this and uh again i want to invite you back please don't be gone so long uh all right you, you have an open door in here your voice needs to go out there uh i hope to hear your voice at other outlets in the future uh, because it is a perspective that needs to be heard. And uh, I just pray 
as, as we would pray for each other, that God would give us more enlightenment and understanding of where he's going. And we pray for that for our brothers and sisters here. And that's the whole reason why we're here tonight. Well, God bless you, brother. And thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you. Nothing can change the shape of things. Nothing can change the shape of things to come. All right, this is Dr. Future at the Future Quake Show. And this is Tom Bionic sitting over here at the other side of the massive control panel. Being not Dr. Future. <laughs> Being not Dr. Future. And I want to thank Robert Hyde for his time visiting yeah. with us this week. We hope you enjoyed the last installment mm-hmm. there in a special Friday sub-edition. Yeah. Uh, we're back to the news, and mm-hmm. so we need to jump into it. People are going to start uh, rioting outside the Future Quake studios mm-hmm. if we don't do more news stories. So you got one you want to lay on us? I think it's funny that I think it's funny that every every Friday you ask me about what the news was, mm-hmm. what, what day it is, and I always make up something kind of silly, mm-hmm. and then you give me the laser beam eyeballs, and then we do something else that's not news related anyway. Um, well, yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. We'll get back to regular yeah. classic news here. Well, so. well, let me um, let me reestablish the pattern here. Uh, the The title of this news story is ACLU: Two Thirds of the U.S. Population Lives in Constitution Free Zone. Um, longtime ARS ARS readers know that I ha- I've had my own problems in the Constitution Free Zone that exists in U.S. airports, but an aggressive new ACLU campaign highlights the fact of which I was previously unaware. The constitution-free zone that exists at U.S. borders and airports actually extends 100 air miles inland and encompasses two-thirds of the country's population. (laughs) Well, I can't wait to hear more elaboration on what this means. The U.S. Border Patrol can set up checkpoints anywhere in this region and question citizens. Uh, and this is su- this is fascinating. The reason uh, the reason I got this is because I know it's true. Mm-hmm. I have a friend of mine, a contact who's pretty high up inside the uh, um, uh, border patrol, California Border Patrol. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, we were talking about stuff, and he says that when you come up when you come up to get searched, mm-hmm. they know who you are like a half mile before you get to the checkpoint because they have. They have sensitive equipment that can read your driver's license still in your Whoa. wallet. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and I said, I said, uh, his, well, he'll rena- remain nameless. We'll call him Jay. Okay. I said, Jay, you gotta be, you gotta be kidding me. And he said, No, totally true. We know who to stop and who not to stop, and 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 all that stuff. We know people's criminal records by the time they're a quarter mile away from the stop checkpoint. Especially, especially if if traffic's backed up, which it always is. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've ever been to the Otay Mesa border crossing, or and you got to know, know it's not just his people or just Border Patrol that have that technology. Yeah, it's got to be other forms of the government. Yeah. Oh well, I mean, Border Patrol and uh, DHS and all of those guys share data. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not right. Like, not but exclusive. I mean, I'm sure that technology is used a whole bunch of other places too. Oh yeah, yeah. And we don't even don't even know it. Yeah. Well, let me continue here. The Fourth Amendment to the Constitution contains a border-related exception to unreasonable search and seizure laws. True. I had a long discussion with Jay about that very thing. He mm-hmm. says, he said the Fourth Amendment basically doesn't apply a uh, hundred miles away from the border. And I said, you can't be serious. He yeah. says it's true. How right that could be for abuse. Yeah. Hundred miles. Uh huh. Okay. Um, permitting searches at border checkpoints that wouldn't be permitted elsewhere. The federal statute 8 CFR 287-1, uh, parenthesis A, 1 through 3, 
defines the border zone for enforcement purposes as encompassing an area within 100 miles of the actual border with the possibility of extending it further under certain circumstances. Like when they feel like it. Yeah. You know, okay. this this means that the U.S. Border Patrol could conceivably set up random checkpoints asking travelers for a passport in places like Columbus, Ohio, yeah. <laughs> Houston, or anywhere in the state of Florida. And in fact, it appears that that they've actually been doing this. In 2003, the Seattle Times reported on random spot checks of cars and luggage that Border Patrol agents were performing on citizens who were taking the ferry between Washington State and San Juan and the San Juan Islands. Because most of the passengers on these ferries had not actually crossed the international border, the ACLU advised them at the time not to answer any questions asked, by, asked of them by federal agents. In the intervening years, the ACLU has been collecting other reports of such inland border checkpoints and has built its new constitution-free zone campaigning around them. Unfortunately for the ACLU, few of the folks who have been subject to the search at such checkpoints have actually come forward with complaints, but the ones who did speak up have, been, have compelling and troubling stories. Take the story of Vincent Peppard from San Diego, who crossed the border to buy tiles at a discount store in Mexico. And that's a big deal there. You know, my, my, uh, my father's had his, one of his cars painted in Mexico. Mm-hmm. He lives in San Diego. He went over there and got a huge 50% discount. They did a great job painting the car, painted mm-hmm. it. It was a 70 one super beetle they painted it back to the original color beautiful mm. uh you know you go over there and it's just totally mm. professional you can even you. buy beetles over there not anymore yeah they were making them yeah i think they stopped two or three years ago you probably still find one mm-hmm. uh they're having huge huge drug wars over there so uh i know a lot of people who go over there to eat regularly mm-hmm. and uh, they're not going they said we're not crossing the border for anything yeah yeah anyway upon crossing back into the u.s he was subject to the usual check at the border but on driving further inland, he was stopped at a second checkpoint where agents asked to search his car. Pepport, a member of the ACLU, refused the search, at which point he was questioned repeatedly and eventually escorted from his car while the agent searched it. Segments of Pepport's account to the incident, which the ACLU has posted in video on their site, would almost be funny if the issue weren't so serious. He started looking at the passport and the driver's license, says Pepard, and he goes to my wife, Where were you born? Because she has an accent, but she's a U.S. citizen. And so she says, I was born in Syria. And he goes, ah, a Syrian, like he'd hit the jackpot or something. Pepard then goes a little overboard in expressing worry that he may be stopped and asked for security at Home, De- Home Depot or in other random locations. But he finishes off the, cl- the clip with a concern that may not be so far-fetched. Specifically, Pepard worries that because he, he has talked to the ACLU and filed a complaint with the Border Patrol, he may be singled out for further harassment at border checkpoints, which at this point doesn't surprise me in mm-hmm. the least. Right. Ultimately, one wonders just how far the feds will push this internal checkpoint idea on non-emergency situations. I can give you a hint. Everywhere. Given the likely reaction to citizens being asked to show papers on a mass scale, it seems unlikely that the government will truly install checkpoints north of Columbus and begin screening in large numbers. Uh, I would disagree with that. But vigilance, as the saying goes, is the price of freedom, freedom, which is why the ACLU and its allies intend to challenge the practice before we have a chance to find out. And the person who wrote that, that was mm. on the, uh, the ARSTechnica.com website mm. and was written by John Stokes. Wow. Well, the essential element there is 100 miles within any of our borders, mm-hmm. which the overwhelming majority of our population lives around some perimeter of our border, yeah. are subject. Well, basically, they think they have constitutional protections, and they frankly don't. 
Yes. Well, and and the other caveat is the constitution the constitution free zone that they refer to in the news story mm-hmm. uh exists at US borders, but it also exists at US airports, mm. making it making 100 100 air mile inland uh circle around the airport. 100 miles from any what international airport? Yes. Well, that that's everywhere. Yeah, a hundred miles from an airport. Because I thought about an airport, but then I thought, well, maybe it's just the airport grounds. But they're saying a hundred miles from any international airport. So there is basically no protection against search and seizure. I don't know. Maybe maybe some part in the like, upper corner of Wyoming. Well, or I'm North looking Dakota. at I'm looking at a map of the map yeah. of the United States here, and it looks like you're good for most of um, oh, uh, Wyoming. No, um, as long as they don't get international flights in there. Well, they don't. Doesn't look like. Okay. Um, probably into Cheyenne, but that's well, not it. So much Nevada? for that one. You're good for Nevada. Yeah, there's no telling which of our of our rights are gone too. Well, we've only got time for a quick. You want to give me a quick story yeah, here? Yeah, hit me up there. Uh, that's enough. Let's get this. To mm-hmm. This is something that makes you feel a little bit better. Iran considering preemptive strike on Israel. This okay. is from Haaretz, Israel. Uh, top Iran officials recommend preemptive strike. Senior Tehran officials are recommending a preemptive strike against Israel to prevent an Israeli attack on Iran's nuclear reactors, a senior Islam- Islamic Republic official told foreign diplomats two weeks ago in London. The official, uh, Savali, Safavi, said recent threats by Israeli authorities strengthen this position, but as of yet, a preemptive strike has not been integrated into Iranian policy. Uh, he is the head of the Research Institute of Strategic Studies in Tehran and advisor to Supreme Leader Ali Khamenei. Uh, so I've got some more on there, but basically they are wow. seriously looking at it, so they may hit first if they think it's inevitable. That's interesting, seeing as how we've already uh, had several cross-border incursions into Syria. Right, you know, and, and and you know maybe this election may influence too who wins it. So I don't know. Uh, but things they, are getting things are spinning out of control, my friend. Yeah, it's going to get pretty hot here on Future Quake. Yeah. But uh, speaking of hot, we need we to bring to in Merv. <laughs> we need to bring Merv in to tell okay. everybody how to get hold of us. Merv, come on in. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we've got uh, 10, 15 seconds. Any right. last words? Folks, thank you for tuning in to Future Quake. Uh, until next time, we hope your future is very bright. Next week will be another fantastic show. We have a special guest, uh, Jason Burmis, will be joining us. Oh, yeah. I think you'll really enjoy that. Until then, we hope your future is very bright. Have I a just, good day. I just said that. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake.